Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 197. Episode 197 of Citizen Dame. The podcast where we have many episodes. Like, this is actually, I'm kind of like, wow, I feel like this just started yesterday. (laughs) Uh, I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. How are you doing this fine day? You know, I went to sleep last night knowing that Ben and JLo are finally engaged again and all is right in the world. I'm I, totally I feel, kidding. I don't care about that. We're just, we're just redoing all of the celebrity things from like the 90s and the early aughts. That's basically Nostalgia, what's happening. Lauren. Nostalgia yeah, it, is cool. It really is. I feel like there are a bunch of Gen Zers who are like, why are the Gen Xers and the Millennials so happy? I was just like, because Ben! Should go back together. <laughs> Anyways, yep, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Her ring is really pretty. I will say. I, I'm, I'm glad I they didn't have... decide to get the same ring again. That would have been really weird. <laughs> yeah, that would have been too much of a redux. It's just like you really need to kind of shake things up. This is the 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 uh, um, you know the reboot. So you gotta you gotta do something more. Exactly. <laughs> Um, well, we have a lot of different things that we want to actually cover today, uh, being sort of sort of chill because we've had quite a bit of excitement with the Oscars and all the other things that are going on. But before we get on to like more recent things, I, I think that we do have to mention the fact that Will Smith has been banned from the Oscars for 10 years. Yeah. Um, that was the the ultimate decision of the academy uh, earlier earlier this earlier this week that, that we're recording to be last week um, when you were listening to this, and it's not surprising, right? But of course, a lot of people are are pointing out the fact that you know there are there are people who had who were members of the academy or continue to be members of the academy even after um, you know all of this information came out about their about sexual assault about all sorts of things. One of the things that I think we need to note, and I'm not saying I'm not defending the Academy's decision at any level. I think that this this is all terrible, basically. Um, but that one, I think one of the reasons why the Academy is reacting as intensely as it is, is because this was such a public thing. This was on screen, right? Everybody watched it at home. This was a major thing. And there is the sense that the Academy and, and the Oscars telecast generally are embarrassed at some level, that this is an embarrassment and they're punishing Smith for the embarrassment. Mm-hmm. So did you have any other thoughts about that, Karen? Uh, yeah, I have many. First of all, someone <laughs> yesterday said, you want to feel old? The Oscars were 12 days ago. And I was just like, oh my gosh, has it really not even been two weeks yet? Um, which was crazy. But anyway, um, 
Yes. Yeah, so I think that the 10 years, personally, I think it's too long, but I think that it happened because of the fact that he resigned from the Academy. I think if they had had the opportunity to ex expel him themselves or suspend him or whatever, then um, it probably wouldn't have happened, as we see from the fact that Roman Polanski and Harvey Weinstein and you know, some other folks are still allowed to attend. They probably won't get invited, but, you know, if, if Harvey Weinstein, as, you know, as my friend Clayton said, actually on the BBC yesterday, he was doing all kinds of TV. It was weird. But, um, he, he said, you know, if Harvey Weinstein got out of prison tomorrow, he'd be allowed to go to the Oscars as someone's guest. You know, there's nothing stopping him from coming. And, and, you know, then there was a lot of people who were just saying, like, okay, well, you're comparing two completely unsimilar things because what Weinstein and Polanski and Woody Allen and a whole lot of other abusers, Kevin Spacey's not banned either. Um, he's, as far as I know, he's not even kicked out yet. But, um, but uh, I think, you know, there are a lot of people who are trying to say, well, it's different because they didn't do anything at the show itself to your point and i think that there's a lot of truth to that um i think well i think that first of all when the weinstein stuff happened it was kind of one of those things where no one fully knew what was what was the right course of action um in when it came to things that had nothing to do with what he was accused of like his membership in the academy he didn't he wasn't an abusive rapist because he was an academy member and he wasn't using that position to do what he did. And so I think there was a lot of like, well, we don't really know what to do. But we also don't want him to be part of our club. So we're just going to kick him out. And that was that. With Will Smith, um, it's definitely a huge embarrassment because it completely derailed the show. And, uh, and it was extremely public. Everyone has seen it pretty much. Even people who were, you know, mostly people who weren't even watching the show that night have seen what happened and everyone has an opinion about it. Everyone has talked about it. Um, and I think the Academy wants to make sure to send a very loud message that this is not okay. This will never, ever happen again. And so they're basically making an example out of Will here. My frustration is the fact that there's clearly a huge double standard and when it comes to what is and is not acceptable in terms of what happens on the live show, case in point, Adrian Brody kissing Halle Berry the night that he won Best Actor and she was the one that had presented to him because she had won Best Actress the year before. And it's not only was that allowed, not only was it, you know, something that people continue to laugh about as like, oh, how charming, but it, like the Academy themselves include it in a roundup of like best fan, you know, favorite Oscar moments. It's still something that's celebrated. And that was a really uncomfortable, terrible thing for her. And so I think when I look at what's happening with Will Smith, yeah, I understand that there's this urge and need to like make sure that <laughs> no one tries anything like this again. But I also think the Academy needs to step back and examine its own hypocrisy and have a standard of what is and is not going to be acceptable um, when it comes to membership, but also when it comes to what happens on the show. 
Yeah, and it's it's a good point about Adrian Brody and, and Halle Berry because that was it wasn't something that she consented to. It wasn't something that she was happy about. Um, she was embarrassed by it. And he just kind of did it, right? Mm-hmm. And and yeah, yeah and could yeah, and and everyone and it was his opportunity to do it. Like, yeah, I think he basically said something like that. In fact, um, and and it wasn't something that you know he could have done at any other stage, basically, without it basically being sexual assault, which is is you know, it's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't kiss people without their consent, even if you're in Hollywood. Uh, but but it it is a good point in that a lot of the things that we're talking about, so we've, we've talked about, you know, you mentioned Kevin Spacey, Harvey Weinstein. Um, another example that's been used a number of times is Mel Gibson, um, all of which do not have, like you say, do not have direct relationship to them being members of the Academy or not. Um, Whereas now, like we're also talking about the Oscars telecast itself. And I, I do think particularly in, you know, we're in, still in the Me Too era. We're still in this point where we're talking about people who are, um, who are sexual harassers and also what is acceptable to do in public and what isn't. I don't think that Adrian Brody necessarily is like, I am now going to sexually harass Halle Berry. He thought that it was okay. And it respond- and the way that everyone responded was basically reinforcing the idea that it was okay. And the Academy does need to like have that kind of conversation. Like, you know, it's not okay to, to grab people. It's not okay to, um, you know, kiss someone who doesn't want to be kissed, that kind of thing on the Oscars telecast. That's actually like a conversation that I think you're right, that they need to have. They also need to really establish, are they going to put up with people who have been accused or been convicted of, you know, sexual assault, of violence, et cetera, and allow them to continue to be, voting members in the academy um which also you know allow them to continue to be invited to the oscars if they want to go things like that they need to establish these rules yeah yeah and it's long past time i mean we've been dealing with the world post harvey weinstein for five years now uh as of this i think september october and the fact that we're still having these conversations. I mean, it's complicated with people like Woody Allen because he's not a member of the Academy. He's just won a bunch of times. But um, but yeah, people like Mel Gibson who are still getting nominated, who are still v- getting to vote. Um, Kevin Spacey, you know, there's... I'm trying to think. There's some... You know, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of people that have been credibly accused of stuff and are still running around and no consequences as far as the Academy is concerned. They need to have some kind of code of conduct and basically say like the, this is what a public one, right? This is, if you do this, you will be expelled from the Academy. If you, you know, that, that kind of thing, because it does feel very arbitrary. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and and like I say, I do think that the, the reason Smith is being treated so one of the reasons, at least, that he's being treated so badly is um, because it was so public. Yeah. And that pub, uh, not just public, but public within the confines of the Academy and the Oscars, right? It was directly related, as, right. as you point out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that has definitely informed on it. And I like I, th- I honestly think that a lot of what is underlying this is that they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed by his behavior and they're embarrassed by the fact that it happened so publicly on their stage. And by the fact that this, like you say, this has been overshadowing pretty much everything else about the Oscars, uh, which was not what they wanted. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
So I think that, you know, well, I'm certain that more things will come up and then we'll have other conversations about this, but maybe we've put the slap to rest for a little while <laughs> until next year when everyone is going to start talking about it again. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, what's going to happen now? You know, um, what's going to happen next year mm-hmm. and <laughs> on the next story, but <laughs> Well, let's go on to the next story because we're both looking at it right now, um, which is that Karen, Karen, why do you, you your, your uh, name on our chat right now is that you want to slap Colin Trevor. First of all, not don't do that. Second of all, why do you want to slap Colin Trevor? Because he's annoying and dumb. We knew that. Is there anything specifically that this that has been brought up to remind you of how annoying and dumb Colin Trevorrow yes, is? Yes, because you know what? I actually always forget Colin Trevorrow exists until there's a new story about something that he's working on. In this case, Jurassic Park Dominion or Jurassic World Dominion. Sorry. And um, so this morning, Ben Travis from Empire posted a, an article with an exclusive first look at the new dinosaur in the new Jurassic movie, which is the Gigantosaurus, known as the... So this is going to cause a lot of debating and arguing, because in the article it says it's best known as Giga or Jigga. Which one is it going to be? Because it's the Gigantosaurus. Well, (laughs) it's going to be like the GIF GIF. Exactly. I I kind of like the idea of calling it a Jigga. (laughs) It's a Jigga, like, uh, oh God, there's gonna be so many memes. Oh, I can't, no, we have to call it the Giga because we cannot have that many memes. Not not okay. Um, Yeah, anyway, but what really got me in this article were uh, two things that are in the same paragraph. So it explains that the, the Giga is not a genetic hybrid. It actually is a dinosaur that they have scientific documentation for from the late Cretaceous period. And then it says, but like its scaly brethren, it's none too pleased to find itself roaming around in the modern day. I'm just going to pause before I get to the really annoying part and point out that we're not resurrecting dinosaurs that used to live and then died and now they're back. They don't know that they're in the modern day. They don't know that they were not in the modern day before. They don't know because they didn't live before. Anyway, this is something that's annoyed me for four movies. But (laughs) anyway, um, so then here's a quote from Colin Trevorrow. I wanted something that felt like the Joker. It just wants to watch the world burn. I'm pausing for dramatic effect because that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in relation to these Jurassic movies and I've heard a lot of really stupid things and I just this is just this has got to be like him appealing to like the lowest common denominator fanboys like it's it's just it's 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 stupid it's stupid it's so stupid it's these guys have a brain the size of like a walnut seriously and the bigger the dinosaurs are the smaller their brain are is is in proportion to their head and their body the brains in these creatures is really just to function to like make its body function they don't think the raptors that's a whole different thing and that's also up for debate but this this giant dinosaur 
it it's it, it can't it can't want to watch the world burn because it can't have any feelings and thoughts about the world. It does. It hasn't discovered fire. It has no opposable thumbs, so it can't make fire. It can't and I'm just like picturing this. I can't. I'm just picturing this gigantic dinosaur like putting on the Joker makeup and everything, and just okay. If just that like, happens, you know, I erase everything I said because then that becomes a gift. But I mean, I do think that this is blatant raptor erasure because the fucking raptors, like the, they are the villains in the first movie. Like the first they are two movies. Yeah, they are smart, right? At least in the in the world of Jurassic Park and Jurassic whatever we're into now. Uh, they are the smart ones. They're the ones who are just like, I'm gonna fuck your shit up. Like, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, it's it's incredibly stupid. And I, I also, as I mentioned, as I said before, we got on. Um, these animals are gigantic chickens. Like, these are they're more bird like than lizard like. And we have this image of them, and we still have this image of them as being these, you know, gigantic, mean looking alligators or something like that. And they're not, they're chickens. They've got, they probably had feathers. These are like fucking ostriches chasing you around. Um, Swans. Yes. Right. And swans are terrifying. I will say like a gigantic swan, that's scary. That would be like terrifying. But when you begin to think of these animals as having like feathers and basically being birds, (laughs) they they suddenly just like, oh, it's like the Joker. It's a chicken. Anyways, <laughs> on a separate note, not related to Jurassic World, um, just a fun fact that I read about this week. Did you know that they had found a fossil from a dinosaur that they think died on the day that the meteor hit the Earth? Ah, uh, I really hope that cool. like I hope that it like died of natural causes. I hope that that dinosaur was just like ah, I'm old. I've I've lived my life as a gigantic chicken, and and now I will die. And then just like the world ended for them, basically. Sure, that's what happened. That's exactly that is what just happened. like just an old old tragic. lady dinosaur. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, it was a really cool story that I just thought of while we were talking about that's, stupid fake dinosaurs. That's fascinating. Well, I. You know, with with these films, there there's this attitude just like, oh, we know all of these things about these animals. We really don't know that much because everything that we do know um, is is based on fossil records and stuff like that. So th- there's so much that people keep on figuring out about them and like about the fact that they probably weren't giant lizards. Right. Um. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> let us let us move on to slightly more serious things. This was something that came up um, that came up on Twitter yesterday, and this was actually from a newsletter from Fangoria. Um, and I'm not going to go into like everything that is being said. It is it is worth reading the full piece, uh, and it, it was excerpted a number of times on Twitter. But one of the one of the things that it, it kind of went into is this question of community and film communities generally. And um, in this case, the author is talking about the horror community and the issues that are kind of attached to that. And he has a lot of different things to say. Some of them I agree with, um, some of them that I don't. But he basically makes this distinction between there not really being a community in horror, but it being more of a crowd. Uh, And... I had, there were a few things that I take issue with about this because I was kind of thinking about, I'm not particularly a member of the horror community or crowd or whatever you want to call it, um, simply because that's that's just not something that I want to participate in. I, I do kind of look at it from afar and I enjoy horror movies, but it's not my you know 
a major part of my personality or anything. Um, but he, he begins to make this distinction about, um, uh, about how, you know, people within the community should not be penalized at some level for the behavior of others. And um, one of the things that, that he says is that what tends to happen online is the community gets mad that people in the community aren't doing enough to protect the community when someone does something dumb or egregious or in bad taste or unfortunately criminal. Um, you'll end up seeing folks more upset at the community than at the transgressor. Uh, the community, the flock to horror for a sense of community ends up decrying the community. And he's obviously using community in quotation marks, so he's repeating it a lot. Um, it's, an, it's a confusing, angry ball of, co of cognitive dissonance on a good day. And I, I have feelings about this um, because it begins to read a little bit like not all fans. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that bothered me a little bit is that you're, you're, there's, there's the sense of like, well, I'm not, it's not really a community, so I'm not responsible for the behavior of others. I'm not responsible for whether or not I support something. And even to just like look at the, the crowd metaphor, right? That it's more of a crowd of people. Well, if I am in a crowd and I see someone assaulting someone else, do I not have a responsibility to do something about that, to, put, to point it out, to call a, a police officer, to do something, right? And that's true if I'm in a crowd, and that's doubly true if I am in my building and I see some and see something happening to someone. I should do something, right? I should have some kind of engagement with that. I shouldn't just stand idly by and be like, "Well, but it's a crowd; it's not my problem." And so, this this whole conversation began to really bother me um, because it is kind of saying like, "Well, hands off! I I don't need." This, these aren't my people. It's just like, no, they, they are your people and they're people that you've let into your space. And now you have to decide who gets to be in there and who doesn't. What are, what are your thoughts here, Karen? Uh, I, I think this is an interesting conversation to have. And I think that, um, I think that he's kind of maybe missing some things or overgeneralizing or oversimplifying. One of those two. I'm not sure what she's doing. Maybe both at the same time. Because I think that they're, like you said, you love, like we both love horror, but neither of us consider ourselves really part of a horror community, right? I don't. Um, and especially because that's just such a big nebulous word. I mean, I have friends that can't even just, you know, can't even agree on what horror even means, you know? And so I think that right off the bat the thing one of the things that that struck me in reading this was i think that there are both in in the world of horror i think there are communities i don't think there is a horror community and i think there are crowds and i think there are groups and i think there are just fans that are not really attached to any of it you know what i mean and so i think that when, like, what he's talking about as far as bad actors and stuff, there might be people who are very distantly connected to that person, and and they probably don't necessarily have a responsibility. Unless they see something happening in the moment, then, yeah, I think we all, just by nature of being human, have a responsibility to, to do something, whether that's actually, like, stepping in or at least, you know, sounding an alarm or something. Um, but But even if... 
you know, there are, like, even if there are people that are just, you know, kind of loosely, just vaguely there, as in a crowd, there's also people that are part of that community. And those are the folks that do definitely have a responsibility. And that means that they also take some of the blame when certain things go wrong or are being, you know, are, are bad. And I, I, so I think it's, I think he's not correct, but only because I think he's just being, he's painting with too broad of a brush. Yeah. Well, and, and I was thinking about this in terms of a community that we are both a part of, which is film Twitter. Right. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of things that I hate about film Twitter and there are a lot of things that I, I like about it and people that I've connected to that, that I like, but so one of the things that begins to develop is like, and there are definitely cliques that develop and sub sub communities and all of this stuff. Neighborhoods within the community. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, and I'm hated by by a number of people on film Twitter. Um, and I hate a number of people on film Twitter as well, but at a, at a certain point, if you, if you are beginning to see like that, this is a really toxic space, don't you need to say something about it being toxic? I mean, maybe, maybe my attitude is, is incorrect or it's, it's taking too much on or whatever. Obviously I'm one person. I don't, I don't feel that I'm going to make a massive difference as a single person, especially a person with not a great deal of power in all of this. Um, but if you say like, no, this, this is bad. This is behaving badly. This is not someone that should be acceptable. Um, you know, I'll, considering some of the stuff that went on with people like Devin Faraci mm-hmm. and, um, and Harry Knowles and the people that were either silent about that or supported them or tacitly supported them or, you know, made claims that we're going to do better and never actually did better. All of that, they're, the kind of attitude that I think is being expressed in this piece is basically to a certain degree, giving people, but especially giving people with a bit more power than your average fan, right? Yeah. A, a pass. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. And um, and I, I don't really want to bring up, well, yes, I do. Fangoria <laughs> was one of the ones that kind of got wrapped up in some of the, um, some of the behavior of what's his name, Dallas uh, Somier. Uh, who, and this was a couple of years ago, and it was about their parent company, right? And then Fangoria like disavowed it. They they eventually split away from it. But there, I feel like that there's a little bit of an excuse that is being made here. It's just like, well, it's not our responsibility at some level. It's not, it isn't about us. And so that that goes back to the kind of, well, it's, it's in a certain sense, it's kind of like saying, well, it's not all men because I'm not a man who does that. Just like, yeah, but you are a man and you are a part of this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like when you do know what's going on, when you are in a position where you have the ability to say something because you do know what's happening, then I think whether like whether you want to call it a community or you want to give it a different name, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't change the fact that you have a responsibility to intervene. Yeah. And, and to say who you want to accept within your community and who is, right. who's okay and who isn't, right? And actually one of the, um, one of the spaces that retweeted this article and, and agreed with it, but then also said we're a community is, was talking about um, LGBTQ rights mm-hmm. and, the, and accepting marginalized groups. And it's like, okay, so yeah, exactly. Do you say I will put up with the fascists 
Or do you say, I will accept the LGBTQ community, right? And that's that's a major question. That I think that you do have to decide what side you stand with that one. And I'm not at all saying that Fangoria is fascist or anything like that. <laughs> We're standing with fascists. But I, I think that's something you can't disavow yourself of, yeah. is my point. Yeah, definitely. And well, and I think that, um, well, I'm just thinking about, you know, one thing that... It, I understand, but it kind of annoys me, but also I think it ties into this, is when people police follows on Twitter. Like, yeah. oh, why are you still following this person? You know, and there are maybe a lot of reasons why I'm following certain people. It has nothing to do with me supporting or liking them. But I do think that that is a situation where it's like, yeah, I think at a certain point, you have to distance yourself even in little ways like unfollowing someone on social media or whatever, that's all part of, of taking a stand, I guess is, yeah. is what I was trying to say. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. So like I say, it's an interesting article. I do encourage people to, um, to read it. I, I'll, I'll link the, the tweet that I, I originally got it from in the, in the show notes. Um, so it's just something to think about, I think, in terms of film community and, and in terms of the broader community as well. And in terms of the, the language that we use, and are yeah. we just using certain words because they make us feel a little bit better about ourselves? Mm -hmm. um, so moving on, I th we have like all kinds of things to talk about, actually. Uh, let's, let's move on with a couple of questions, because we did have uh, a few questions from Noah, specifically about this issue of the Academy. So he asks, who should be kicked out of the academy? Well, I think that we've mentioned a few people already. Uh, was there anyone else that, that came up in your mind, Karen, that you didn't get a chance to call out? Just like, why are these people still members? Um, oh, gosh. Mel Gibson is the big one for me. Yeah, like, definitely. I, yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I don't. I hate the fact that he is still so acceptable. Jared Leto, actually, I think would be another one, although we haven't quite come to terms with him yet. Uh, James Franco. Oh, James Franco's still a memory, yeah. Mm -hmm. Shia, is Shia LaBeouf a member? I don't know if he is or not. I'm not sure. Five people have been expelled from the Academy ever. And it's like, well, there's a lot more that it should be. Especially yeah, definitely. Especially because, like, one of them was first sharing his screeners and <laughs> but then we oh, got... I remember that I remember yeah. when that happened yeah Karini yeah, um which it's like oh yeah we got to take that seriously and it full-on says that there are consequences for sharing them but anyway um but yeah I think Mel Gibson is definitely the big one and um I think Kevin Spacey too Kevin Spacey as well yeah mm -hmm. So the, the other two questions that we had, and I just find this amusing, is for Karen, who should play Lauren in a movie? And for Lauren, who should play Karen in a movie? <laughs> I am going to start by saying that I feel we are the cinematic barb and star. <laughs> yeah. So I do not know which one is which necessarily. But I feel a very <laughs> particular kinship to Annie Mamolo. So All right, I'm I will be I will be Kristen Wiig. I am fine <laughs> with that. Uh so that was immediately where my brain went. <laughs> what about you, Karen? I mean, we've joked about this before, but I one hundred percent think of you every time I see Kate McKinnon on screen. <laughs> I will take that. I will absolutely take that. I am fine with that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Definitely. 
But I was also, last night I was thinking about this question, and I was just like, who are some just like, tell it like it is, just like, is. badass woman who is also blonde. I was trying to think of Who's also else. blonde. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's a very important criteria, so. And, um... <laughs> Yeah, I really think Kate McKinnon is the way to go. But I think if they were going to go younger, no, <laughs> you're going to be mad at me. But one that I think could pull it off would be Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> go fuck yourself. Uh, moving on. <laughs> moving on while I am older. So I will take the Kate McKinnon. I'm just going to be like, mm. <laughs> You and Jennifer moving- Lawrence are actually not that far apart in age. I oh, that that makes sense actually yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> if you could recast any movie made in 2021 with an all Muppet cast, what movie would you pick? This is also from Noah, and I was I... just going through all of the different ones for like you know they they this question comes up on on uh, social media a number of times where they ask you know. And who would be the the one human, mm-hmm. right? And so I was trying to picture like Power of the Dog, <laughs> with just like Jesse Plemons as the only human in the entire group. Or I, I was just like, I don't know if I could like handle that. That really. Um, um, well, the first one that came to my mind was Nightmare Alley. I think yeah, that would be great. <laughs> Um, and if we wanted to have a human, I guess it would, I mean, you have to have Kate Blanchett. You can't have that movie without Kate Blanchett. It's like picture Kate Blanchett vamping like Kermit or something yep. like that. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, let's see. Some other options, I think, um... Yeah, let's see. Coda wouldn't really work. Don't Look Up would work. I have not seen Don't Look Up, but yeah. Well, you've got that big (laughs) cast as well. Yeah. Yeah. It actually would be kind of perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, those are my two. Nightmare Alley and Don't Look Up. I I like that. I think Power of the Dog is definitely mine. That's a great one. um, Because I just... (laughs) I, I, I like how these like uber serious movies suddenly become incredibly funny when you're like picture the Muppets in <laughs> yeah, this. It's so true. <laughs> and yeah. I, I think I more would... people should write their screenplays thinking about how would this change if it were the Muppets? <laughs> if it were the Muppets, would this be entertaining? <laughs> yes. Uh, I love that question, by the way, Noah. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I think we should do this every once in a while. Just like, what movie, what recent release would you recast with Muppets? Mm-hmm. Um, the the other question that we had comes from Mason. And, and he says, often the binaries are, I like this actor, director. I don't like this actor, director. Do you know anyone who started out terrible but matured into someone very talented or maybe vice versa? Um, I'm trying to think about this because obviously a lot of what we're talking about is, is personal opinion, right? It's, it's personal feeling. There are definitely, there's some directors that I feel like I disliked a lot of their stuff and then, or, and this also includes actors. Um, and then as time went on, I began to appreciate them more and more. Uh, the one, the actor that stands out for me in that is Natalie Portman, because the first time I saw her was in the Star Wars prequels. 
And I thought that she was a terrible actress. <laughs> and, and then I, a little bit later on in her career, and like I saw V for Vendetta and things like that, just like, oh no, she's good. It was the movies that were terrible. It was the part that was bad. There was nothing she could do about that. Um, so that definitely happens. I think Robert Pattinson is another one for me where, and again, I, some of this is about when you first see them and what they first appeared in the Twilight films. I, I do, I'm not a fan of the Twilight movies. Um, and, but over time, like he's proven himself really to be an excellent actor. So is Kristen Stewart for that matter. Uh, she's someone else that I really disliked when she initially kind of appeared on the scene, at least in my experience. And then as her career went on, you begin to realize like, uh, actually she's good. It's, it's some of the roles that she's chosen or some of the roles that she's had that, that are not so good. Do you have anyone like this, Karen? <sighs> I'm sure I do, but I am really struggling to think of who. Like, there's, there's people that are just kind of like floating in my brain. And I can't, I can't think of who it is. Where it's like, they finally at some point kind of started to come into their own, and you realize like, oh, okay, they're actually doing, doing some, some really interesting work now. I definitely think Pattinson is one that that I would, would can would, keep on my list too. Um, but I feel like there's some others and I'm just not, I don't know. Um, as far as directors, I think that, um, I'm not sure that I have a getting better, but <laughs> I think there are a few that definitely have seen a downturn. I think, uh, the big one being Clint Eastwood started off with some interesting, I, I haven't always loved his films, but I think he started off as a really interesting filmmaker and in the last, I don't know. 10, 15 years, it's like, it's like he just has this push. I don't know. It's like he's trying to get to a magic number of films that he does before he dies or something. And the diminishing returns on that are gigantically bad. <laughs> so, uh, -huh. uh yeah. I'm going to get myself canceled um, <laughs> and say Steven Spielberg. <laughs> I don't think that's a terrible, um, a terrible point. He definitely, like, even when I like his movies now... Um, cause I liked the post. I enjoyed West Side Story, even though I have a lot of problems with it, but what he's doing now is a far cry from Jaws and Close Encounters and E.T. Yeah. and Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's, it's a decline. I mean, I, I said earlier this year and got in a little bit of trouble for it, which is that it, we might have to talk about the fact that Spielberg may be past it. And, and he's an old man. Like he's, he's, this is not a young director anymore, right. but it definitely feels like he, yeah. And, and even if you kind of take away kind of the, how iconic some of those early films are, right? Jaws, E.T., et cetera. Um, and really look at them as films, right? As simply standalone pieces of art. What do they do? What do they not do? They're much more accomplished and much more, sure of themselves in a lot of ways than um, particularly his more recent films. Mm -hmm. um, West Side Story, uh, Ready Player One, things like that, yeah. that just really feel like, I wouldn't necessarily say phoning it in, because I, th I think that he is trying to do things, but that it just feels like he doesn't, he, he's not engaged with the medium anymore. Um, I think it's, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the problem is, but to me, when I watch his stuff now, I feel like he's trying too hard. Whereas before, he just had this huge imagination. I feel like, I feel like he's gotten to this point where he's trying to, like, he feels this pressure to be the director that he was 40 years ago, and he's just not that person anymore. And, like, 
I think one of the biggest problems with Ready Player One, besides the fact that that story was boring, was the fact that he should not have been the one directing it. You know, I think we talked about this when the movie came out. It's, you can't make a movie that is full of nostalgia when you are the one that created all the things that people are nostalgic for in that era. And also then not allow references to your own work. Like, that really diminishes the experience of watching a movie about 80s nostalgia when you don't get the Spielberg stuff. And yeah. and he shouldn't have directed that movie. And it's not that he's incapable of making a big, you know, flashy, fun movie now, but it just, it's not the same. I'm really glad that he's handed the reins over of the next Raiders of the Lost Ark, because I think, or the next Indiana Jones, because I think that the last one, the Crystal Skull... Uh, really showed how far away he has gotten from that franchise. And it's time to have someone else take a crack at it if you're going to keep it going. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, so th thank you, Mason. And thank you, Noah, for your questions. Uh, we always like these kinds of things. I think, like I said, I think that we should keep on doing Muppet movies. Yes. Um, so to move on, I want to talk for just a few minutes about what we have been watching. And we have been watching many different things. Uh, I have been going through the entire second series of Bridgerton, which is not a guilty pleasure at all because I am not guilty about it. And I don't know anyone who is. Uh, <laughs> It's, you know, I'm not a, I'm actually not a big romance novel person in terms of, I don't read tons of romance novels. That wasn't like, that isn't really something that I engage with a great deal. Although I have edited quite a lot. Um, but one of the things I love about Bridgerton is that it really does kind of suck you in. It makes you go like, I am really invested in these stupidly melodramatic lives of these incredibly dumb people. Um, and and this this season in particular, you know, people have talked about that there isn't that much sex, which there isn't, um, on, especially in comparison to last season. And but it's a slow burn. And it is just like it is this tortured romance that just keeps on going. And after a while, one of the things I really liked about this season was that um, after a while, some of the ancillary characters, some of the other characters were kind of watching everything happen and trying to you know, make certain everyone's protected at some level, you know, not being cast out of their society. <laughs> Finally, just feel like, fuck it. Like, I cannot, I cannot with you people. You are too stupid. You are too stupid for me to do anything. <laughs> and one of my favorite characters in the entire show is Lady Danbury, who is absolutely life goals. Um, but there's a certain point in, in the series where she's just like, I don't know what to do. I have no idea because you have fucked this up so completely that I can't, I can't get your ass out of it. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, and it's, she doesn't say it in those words, obviously, but it is this great moment of just like, yeah, they have finally like just done, done shit and screwed things over in a way that is truly spectacular. Yeah, I liked this one, especially for the fact that I hated Anthony, the, the older brother, throughout the entirety of series one. Um, and I'm I'm glad that like this one, even though he's annoying as fuck, uh, I am glad that in this one I was actually like, OK, I understand you a little bit better now. I understand kind of where you're coming from a little more. And, um, you know, I, I am supportive of you actually finding love because before that I was just like, no, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Karen, you haven't had a chance to watch 
to watch Bridgerton this this season. Correct. I've watched season one, but I have not gotten to watch season two yet. I actually started it one night about a week or two ago and realized I was way too tired for that level of drama, so or that particular type of drama. So I was just like, I'm going to come back to this when I'm a little more awake. <laughs> yeah. By the time you get to about the, the third episode, I think that you're so invested in what's happening that like I, I finally ended up watching, I think, over the course of about a week. Yeah. Um, and I'm not one of those people that can sit down and binge, you know, five hours of Bridgerton or whatever. Uh, but <laughs> Um, yeah, it's it's a good season. I think that they did a good job. And I actually kind of like the fact that it wasn't as focused on sex. Um, there is there is some sex. Uh, but I like the fact that this one felt had a different rhythm, as it were, to from the, the previous one, which is is not just about um, their their courtship and their falling in love, but also about their marriage and the beginnings of their marriage. Um, so I, I like that. It, it strikes a nice balance, I think. Cool. So, Karen, what have you been watching this week? What have I been watching? Uh, I did see Morbius, and I I don't I, I I can't explain what happened, but I did not hate it like everyone else did. <laughs> it's My not, God, I know it's not a good movie. I'm not saying it's a good movie, but I was just like, this isn't as bad as y'all led me to believe. I don't know. It's perfectly fine. I think there are a couple of other Marvel movies that are much less fun, but uh, anyway, um, yeah. So I, I watched that. I don't really have a lot to say about it, but it was it was odd to me that people kept saying it was super boring because I didn't think it was super boring. And then another complaint that I heard was everything in it is just setting up for future installments, and I was just like, no, I, I don't. It, there's definitely some of that like especially more toward the very end but i felt like this movie was just about this movie and this character so i don't know i'm very much not aligned with the film twitter community on morbius but you will be cast out you know like eventually <laughs> eventually you know, film twitter please cast me out <laughs> that's okay never wanted to be kicked out of a community more <laughs> exactly <laughs> Oh goodness! Uh, the calm that would come as a result of that, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I that does not highly recommend it to me. I, I am... no, don't go see it. But but it's not <laughs> the worst movie. <laughs> so there's Karen's recommendation. It's not the worst movie. <laughs> uh, the the other thing that I actually watched this week, and I. Unfortunately, it's not available to stream for free anywhere, although you can rent it. And if you've got, you know, three or four bucks lying around, you want to rent it. This is my fav second favorite heist movie of all time um, is Gambit uh, from 1966. It stars peak, peak Michael Caine and Shirley MacLaine as uh, art thieves. And it is, I'm not going to say too much about it because I think that people should really go into this movie cold because there, there are lots of, of kind of twists and turns that it takes and it, it's very clever and it's a lot of fun. And the two of them are just fantastic together. Um, it is one of those that like you, you need to, you need to get into the film. Don't decide to turn it off 10 minutes in uh, because there, there are things that, that happen that you need to, you need to be aware of, I guess. 
it is a fantastic film. It's hilarious. The two of them are great. It's very like 1960s kind of uber cool chic. Uh, Michael Caine is is marvelous. He's he's just in kind of he's at the point where he's doing the Ipcris file and things like that. Shirley MacLaine is a star at that point. Um, and the two of them are just hilarious together uh, in the midst of this, like, you know, kind of light, frothy heist where they're trying to steal a statue. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I really recommend it. It is also on, um, the reason why I have it is because it's on, Kino Lorber has released it on Blu-ray. It's taken forever to get this film like uh, widely available on digital at all. So it's really exciting to me that I can actually own a copy of it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's an excellent film. I, I highly recommend it to, to anyone who wants to see a fun 1960s heist movie. Awesome. So anything else, Karen? Anything else you want to shout out? Movies you want to recommend for this week? Yeah, I mean, definitely. So I mentioned Morbius, but I would say if you're going to go to the movies this weekend, go see Everything Everywhere all at once. It is um, it is weird. It is sometimes a little bit obnoxious. <laughs> I'm probably the only person that's going to actually say that, but, uh, but I do think that it's true. But it's also a really great ride. It's surprisingly emotional, very, um, uh, has a lot of, of moments of just really tender, uh, great things. Michelle Yeoh is a freaking badass and watching Michelle, just, just think about the world we live in now where we have a movie in which Michelle Yeoh and Jamie Lee Curtis get into a full on, like big old gigantic action, like fight scene what a gift that is it's amazing and you should go see the movie just for that alone if nothing else but it's um it's gonna be really interesting like this is the year of the multiverse movies i guess because we've got this and then we've got dr strange 2 coming and later this year we've got the new spider-man into the spider-verse movie and um and they're all about multiverses but what this one does and the way that it connects um the way that it makes the the idea of the multiverse really about individuals and um tapping into the possibilities of of your other lives and like if your choices had gone differently what would that have done for you but also how can you um how can you use that and and um anyway it's it's very complicated movie to try to explain like extremely complicated but it's it's a lot of fun it's very strange and it's ultimately it just has so much heart and so it's it's one of those rare movies that is like the complete package of emotions of styles uh because it's got a little bit of sci-fi a little bit of martial arts a little bit of comedy a little drama a little romance like it's it's just got everything in it but it doesn't feel overstuffed. It somehow manages all to, to work really, really well. So I say if you can get to the movies this weekend, go try to see everything everywhere all at once. That is, that is a strong recommendation. Um, yeah, that that's one that I've been I've been looking forward to. I didn't actually I didn't realize Jamie Lee Curtis was in it. Yeah, um, yeah. that's great. Like that that raises it already. Like Michelle Yao is like, oh, that's that's cool. And I was like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis, too. Awesome. <laughs> Two of them together, I think would be great. Yeah, that's um, fantastic. 
Well, that sounds great. Uh, so those are our recommendations for this week. I think that that is kind of going to wrap us up unless you have anything else that you wanted to, to mention before we close everything out, Karen. Um, well, I'll just mention this. There is a written review now on the website for this one, but if you're looking for something that's available on streaming, I would also recommend All the Old Knives, which is on Prime Video. It, it's also in theaters, but uh, it's available to stream on Amazon. And uh, it's Chris Pine and Tandy Wayne New Newton. Um, they play former lovers and uh, ex-colleagues. Chris Pine, it's, it's a spy movie that's not a lot of action. It's really about, you know, conversations and mm -hmm. trying to answer old questions. And so it's a, a pretty quiet movie as, as spy movies go. But every time the two of them are on screen together, it's there's just something really just so satisfying and electric about it and it's it's interesting it's yeah it's not a movie that's for everyone because i think a lot of people are going to be expecting something more but i really enjoyed it that sounds interesting i, I will check that out yeah. um and of course if you want other recommendations for us we do uh recommendations every friday on our instagram so definitely check those out. We like, you'll offer up television shows or movies or something. And always something that you can stream uh, easily on any, on one of the many, many streaming sites. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, our Instagram, by the way, is at Citizen Dame Pod. Uh, I think that that is going to close us out for this week. We will be off next week because of Easter, but then we're going to come back and we're going to do some more um, featured episodes. Uh, we do have a bonus episode that will be coming out for our, our the full episode will be coming out for our patrons and our patrons include, like, nice segue, uh, Adriana, Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Pow, and Will. Uh, thank you so much for continuing to support us, guys. We will have that bonus episode to you. And we've also got a couple of other things that are coming up. So, you know, keep an eye on the Patreon. Um, if you'd like to join our Patreon, we are patreon.com slash citizen dame. And you get all sorts of fun things, including the episodes uh, a couple days early. We also have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. And we do have a Ko-Fi that's ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. If you just want to throw us a couple of dollars. Uh, we, of course, have our website, which, as, as Karen just mentioned, she has a review, a, a new review up. I'm going to have a few more things coming up in the next week or so. Um, that's citizendamepod.com. We are kind of in the midst of making the themes and kind of trying to improve the experience a little bit. So bear with us. <laughs> but it is coming. It is developing. We are working on it. Um, you can also get in touch with us a multitude of ways. Our email is citizendamepod at gmail.com. And we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Instagram at citizendamepod and Letterboxd, where you can find all kinds of fun lists and ongoing things. So more movies for you to check out. And that's at citizendame. Of course, you can get in touch with us individually. I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LHBusiness. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. And that will close us out for this week. We will talk to you guys later. Bye. Well, I was not prepared for that takeoff. Me neither. Ma'am, I apologize for screaming at the top of my lungs. What? A free magazine. What? I have got to read this interview with Don Chiedel. Oh, I love him. You know, that reminds me, the other day I said to myself, I cannot think of a famous actress named Trish. You're kidding!
That's my favorite name. What? Mine too. How have we never talked about this? To me, a woman named Trish is a woman you can count on. Really has her act together. Athletic, natural. Just real natural. And loves the holidays. Trish? At Christmas? Forget it. She gets everyone a gift. What about Halloween? Ah. Oh. Trish leaves a big pot of candy for the kids. Yeah. Because she, she trusts. trusts. <laughs>